Kate, it's great to have you back. You've just launched, relaunched your church. Yeah, we have. We've just relaunched church up in Hertfordshire. So yeah, we've launched ourselves a Zio Church, which is the Greek word for passion. Where's my Zio people? Zio people from Hitchin. Oh, Welcome come on, to you're here. so quiet. Let's see some fire from Hitchin. Come on. Now they're all going to pretend they're not here for okay. the rest of the days. And Kate, you've been doing tons of stuff this year, particularly focusing on youth and adolescence. Yeah, what, what's the picture? We've had a busy year, obviously, with loads going on with youth and young people and just equipping the amazing youth leaders. You know, um, I work with a lot of youth and young people, work with a lot of schools, and largely it is the churches and the youth leaders who are, who are the, the voice into this world at the moment where so many young people are struggling with emotional and mental health. So massive privilege to work with and get to meet so many of them over the summer. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so just, obviously, Rob Waller, psychiatrist, Kate Middleton, psychologist, Will van der Hart, I'm a priest... Um, and together we've been running the MySelf Foundation since 2005 or thereabouts. And, um, you know, we're a network. We are friends. Um, last night we were having roast beef together and laughing our heads off. And today we got far too early and we're all here with you guys who are also friends. And, and we don't want this to be, we've never wanted Mind and Soul to be an organisation in, in the classical sense of the word. Rob, Rob's vision was always that we cast the bread out on the waters and see who wanted to take and partake in, in, in the ministry together. So we've got great organisations we relate to like, like uh, Kintsugi Hope and like Mercy Ministries and, you know, and a number of others. Um, Think Twice, Rachel's here today and um, we've got a, a number of people who are doing incredible things. We call them sort of associates and friends but you are also doing incredible things in your own place. Whether you're a mental health professional, whether you're someone involved in church ministry, or whether you're just someone who's got an interest, or whether you're someone with a mental health problem yourself and you just want to find out a little bit more. We believe that you're all part of that network. And today, I think four hundred of us can make a little bit more noise about why faith and mental health and psychiatric services and clinical psychology and counselling, coaching and everything else can all be part of the same picture. So we want to pray today that God will sort of inspire you for that. We want to make a big noise, I guess, technically as far as we can um, around this. So I'd love you today, if you are on social, we're going to use the um, hashtag, hashtag leadconf, leadwellconf, L-E-A-D-W-E-L-L-C-O-N-F. So it, w because of GDPR regulations, which, which we're trying to work within, it's much more helpful if you take pictures than if we take pictures. <laughs> So, you know, help us out here today if you can. Take as many pictures as you can and, and, and hashtag them, lead well comp. And we'd love to share those. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts during the day. There's going to be a QA and a at the end of the day, but um, we're not going to do that live from the floor just because what we found is actually much easier for us to have a look at the questions and try and, you know, work out which one of us is going to make a strong response. So there'll be a question box over lunch here, and then we're going to respond to those at the end of the day. The programme is quite fast-paced. In a moment, Kate is going to bring our first keynote. Just after lunch, we've got three breakout sessions. Um, there's about 80 places in uh, Helen's session at the top, uh, Rachel's session at the bottom, and everyone else needs to be in here. Obviously, we don't want a massive crush. Those sessions should be absolutely full to bursting, and Rob will sweep up everyone else in the main church. Um, so we will kind of we'll work out a way of doing that closer to the time. But we're just going to try and fill, and if you could bear with us, it's going to be slightly first come, first serve on the two breakouts through here in the church room. On, on that note, it's getting fairly full downstairs. You are more than welcome to go and sit upstairs. So if you're feeling a bit squashed or people sitting around the side, there's, there's lots of space upstairs and there's resources upstairs as well. So feel free to head upstairs probably from this point on with new people coming in.
Thank you. I'm going to pray, and then um, we're going to see, just there's a little short film as we just reset, um, and then I'm going to welcome Kate to bring our first address of the day. Jesus, we want to thank you that you first loved us, and the love in our hearts is a response to your love. And we want to pray today that we would just know that we belong to you, that we are your children, that the struggles that we have in our lives are not unknown to you, but you are compassionate. You are the God who runs. And we want to thank you for your embrace this morning. We want to pray, Lord, for our nation, for every single person struggling in emotional distress. And we pray, Lord, the church might be a part of the response, a compassionate response, not a judgmental response. We want to pray that we, was, we would partner with mental health professionals and counselling services and, and offer Christians the very best in psychology and psychiatry and medication. We pray, Lord, for an integrated church that values all of its parts. And we pray today that you would do a bigger work than the work we can see. We pray you would unify us uh, in this ministry and you'd equip us for it. And we pray today just that your spirit would move in this place, that there would be laughter and that there would be love in the room. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Will, for introducing us and welcoming us here. Welcome. If you're still coming in at the back, do feel free to head upstairs. There's loads of space. I can see some people up there, so that's good. You're finding a way there. My name's Kate Middleton. For those of you who haven't met me before, it's amazing to be here to see so many of you here. Thank you so much for coming. I'm going to kick us off today as we enter, as we meet here in London, the end of September 2018. Isn't it an interesting time for emotional mental health? As, as Will said, we've been doing this for about 13 years now, and, and all of us were already working in mental health before we got together and started doing this through Mind and Soul. It's been such an interesting journey, hasn't it? When we started, the battle was to get anyone in the church to talk about mental health. It just didn't really happen. You would go to your average big conference and it just wasn't a subject that came up at all. The big challenge was just to get people talking. Now as we hit 2018, suddenly everyone's talking about it. Who knew? It turns, it turns out everybody's interested in this stuff that we've been doing for all this time. Things have changed so much. Awareness has risen so much, hasn't it? Just if you pick up the daily newspaper, most days you will find something in there that's looking at mental health, looking at the challenges of it. We've had big campaigns like Time to Change, uh, Mind have done so much stuff, Rethink Mental Illness, these big campaigns. Even the other Kate Middleton is doing it. It took her a bit of time to catch up though, didn't it? And within the church, the same thing is happening. Awareness is so much better now. We are talking so much more about this vital part of what it is to be human beings, this brain, this mind that God created, this amazingly, fearfully and wonderfully made part of all of us. We're talking so much more about this. It's, it's wonderful. But at the same time, we have to be aware that there are challenges that, fa that we face. 
So you cannot escape noticing that there is significant suffering around in this field, that there is something about our 21st century world that is a massive challenge to many people's mental and emotional health. I have a 13-year-old these days, and um, it's, it's noticeable in conversations with her that in her wider friendship group of about 10, 13-year-old girls, she is the only one currently without some kind of mental health diagnosis. She's the only one. She's like, Mum, it's really weird. I feel like I'm the odd one out because I'm happy. <laughs> I'm like, so far, so good. So it's a challenge, isn't it? And we are seeing some of these big issues really are growing. There's a question, some people talking even about an epidemic of mental health. Probably we're just becoming so much more aware of it. But definitely in that generation coming up, there are some big challenges and big concerns. I do a lot of work with youth leaders, with young people. And you cannot ignore this problem if that's the field that you work in, if you're in schools or in youth groups. And we're increasingly becoming aware of some of the social issues that underlie this and asking the really difficult questions about our culture. What is it about the way that we're going that is so amazing but also seems to challenge so many of us? We're hearing about big social issues like loneliness, which are becoming one of our biggest concerns as we look to the future. I read a stat the other day that by 2025, over 2 million people over 50 will be suffering with health-damaging levels of loneliness. We're aware that there are some big social issues that we need to solve, but how do you change the direction of an entire culture? This is our challenge. And the church is far from immune from that stuff. When I talk to people from outside the church, I think they often think that in the church, presumably, we're all like the shiny, happy people. It's all sorted out. We're not stressed or anxious. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> we have the same challenges everybody, everybody else does. In fact, because we, we offer people help and support and amazing resources within their local communities, often churches are spaces where you will see even more people who are struggling with this stuff. If you're not sure what the answers are to the questions of life, this is where you should come. So if we're doing that properly, we should be a space where we're seeing this stuff. And at the same time, what we've also got is this weird sort of, this weird dual position where mental health in some contexts is oddly trendy. So again, my daughter, she follows all these YouTube people and she's, you know, watching all these videos and all that. And most of the people she follows, again, would talk about their experiences of mental health. It's commonly spoken about, and yet we still struggle with stigma. Actually, the day-to-day re -day reality of struggling with those conditions, not cool at all. So when it's her friend who's, she's coming home and saying that this friend is, has cried all day again, that's not cool. So we have this weird situation where we don't quite know what to make of where we're at with emotional and mental health, and there have been some amazing steps forward. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is what are the challenges as we move into this next season? Because it, just talking about it isn't, good, isn't a big enough solution anymore. We did that, everyone's talking about it, that's no longer clever. What we have to do is think about where do we go next? And as the church who are called to bring light to darkness, what are the big questions that we need to answer? So I hope to inspire us a bit this morning, but also to raise what I think are some of the big questions. 
So I'm going to be looking at a passage this morning which is uh, from Mark's Gospel, Mark 2. If any of you brought, brought the brought Bibles or you've got it on your phone, feel free to look it up. If not, the key bits will be on the screen, so don't worry. And it's a story that you will all have heard a hundred times before. So this is the story of the paralyzed man whose friends bring him to Jesus and they can't get in the building so they drop him through the roof. So imagine a room much busier than this. There's throngs of people, a bit like when you were trying to get to the coffee earlier. And you can't get there. And these guys, they think of another way. They go round the back and the story at the beginning of Mark 2 tells how suddenly, so Jesus is probably speaking a bit like this, only with less microphone. And suddenly there's dust starts falling from the ceiling. A a space opens up and this guy just like drops down, probably not quite as high as this. And uh, the account in Mark tells us that what happens, it really is that Jesus does none of the things we would expect. Trust me, if while I was speaking now, someone dropped from the ceiling, there's many things I would say. Some of them shouldn't be said over a microphone. I might say things like, well, I'm actually a bit busy here. Could we maybe talk about this later? Or, you know, go grab a coffee, join the queue. Jesus says none of those things. So this is Mark 2 from verse 5. And what we read is that when Jesus saw their faith, he sees what's happening. He says to this guy, this paralyzed man, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the passage tells us that some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why? Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. So this is that classic story that you've heard a thousand times. It's in every children's Bible story book. Your kids have done it a thousand times. Those of you who've got kids, you've heard the story. You've probably heard a million preachers on it. Why, why am I bringing this to you this morning? And I think there's a really interesting question too of why Mark brings this story to us. In the previous chapter in Mark 1, he sort of glibly, there's a throwaway remark about Jesus healing thousands of people. So why then in the next chapter focus in so much depth on this passage? And I want to suggest to you that that there's more going on in this story, that there's something that we might miss here, which is actually really significant to us here today, that this story tells us something very important and that the clues are actually wound into the language that Mark uses when he's telling this story, the, the Greek language that he's using and some of the themes that you see coming out of that. And you spot them early on. So if you take a look, this is uh, verse 5 coming up on the screen now, right at the beginning of the story. And this is basically a story about a bunch of people desperate to get Jesus' attention, and they do. They get his attention. I mean, he could hardly fail to notice what's going on. I love the way that in the story, in the language Mark used, it says that where, the guy, where they dropped the guy down was right in front of Jesus. It's not very British, is it? I think if we were dropping a paralyzed man through the roof in a British church, we'd probably go for somewhere at the back or around the side. Don't want to bother you. Carry on, carry on. But no, they drop him right in front. He couldn't fail to notice them. But interestingly, he noticed something else. 
And we see in verse five that what Jesus saw wasn't just the outside obvious of a paralyzed man being dropped. It says Jesus saw something else. He saw the faith of these guys of what they did. He saw their motivation. He saw something under the surface that was in the hearts of the people who were doing this. And this theme carries on. If you look, if you read this passage, again and again there are words used that talk about this ability to see, but not just superficially, to see and to sense and perceive something else that's going on deeper. So in verses 6 to 8, you see another example of this. Jesus seeing not just people sitting in a room, but he can see, he can perceive something else. So there's this whole conversation that happens here where actually nobody speaks. Because Jesus looks down, he sees the teachers of the law and he sees them thinking, why is he doing this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And he knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. Nobody says anything, but everybody knows what they're thinking. It's like that parental thing, you know, when your kids ask you for something. Like, we've just been talked into getting two kittens. I, that was because we did not do this. And our kids had a very, very clear strategy. They pinned down one parent first and got him to say yes. And then they came to me and said, Daddy's already said yes. And I thought, oh man, he's folded. But you know that parental thing, we just, uh, 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 uh. yeah, we know what we're thinking. Nobody needs to say anything. This is what's going on here. And what's wonderful, again, is the word that's used that Mark uses here, right at the end of this passage, where it says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking. What that word means, it's a compound word in the original Greek language, and it combines this sense of, of, of seeing something extra with the meaning of being truly known, being in relationship. So what this means is the reason Jesus knew so well what these guys were thinking is because he was in relationship with them. He knew them. This is the amazing truth that when we have an encounter with Jesus, it's not just a one-off, it's not just superficial. We get to start a relationship where we become known. And when we become known by Jesus, what happens is that he sees not just the superficial us that we like to portray, because we live in such a superficial society, don't we? How many of you have put Instagrams out already this morning or you've tweeted pictures I bet it wasn't the first one when you first got up before you'd sort of spruced yourself up. Maybe you added the odd filter. We are so superficial, we like to portray a great image. But Jesus gets to know us and he sees something underneath. And what's amazing is again and again and again in the Bible, that's a positive thing. Because if I said to you right now, ah, oh, yes, here's our special guest today, in comes a man who looks at you and immediately knows every single thought in your heart. Who wants to take him for lunch? Anyone? Any volunteers? You're like, no, 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 that's fine. We'll send him off with someone else. Because we fear condemnation. If we're truly known, if someone sees what we're really thinking, we fear condemnation. But again and again in the Bible, the story is of people who are truly known, of Jesus who sees what's going on underneath. And actually what we find is acceptance and love and growth and good things. So it's interesting, bearing in mind this theme that Mark seems to be drawing out in his language to look back at what the key bits of this story, what's actually happening. So verse five, they've dropped this guy down. Jesus looks down and talks to him and he says the most unexpected thing. Because of all the things 
as you'd expect him to say, this wasn't it. The guy's clearly got a serious physical issue. He's interrupted, I mean, Jesus presumably in full, full flow, mid-preach. The guy drops down, he looks at him. What does he say? Son, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's like, what? Huh? That doesn't make any sense. No one expected him to say that. He didn't heal him. He didn't say, just move over to the side and I'll talk to you later. He, he says this thing that's totally unexpected. Why? And, and I want to just, just share with you three things to bear in mind about why Jesus says this. And the first, you may well have read several times or heard preachers on this saying that Jesus says this because at the root of the guy's physical illness was sin. He was ill because he'd sinned. Now, I actually don't think that that's what's going on in this passage. Feel free to come and argue with me later. It doesn't even make sense because he isn't healed the minute Jesus says this. And actually, because of the themes, because of the other things that Mark says, I think there's so much more going on that if we just jump to that conclusion, we've missed something. The second thing to bear in mind, though, is that this is before Jesus has gone to the cross. I know that's obvious because he's standing here, but it's so easy for us to read this with our perception, our understanding of how life and faith works. Jesus was talking to a room of people who knew how things worked. They were, many of them Jewish people, many of them ancestors of this original bunch of people who had left Egypt and sat out on this journey to become God's people. To, to live with the amazing privilege of having, the, the, of having God living amongst them, but as a result of that, trying to live by this massive list of, of rules and regulations and laws in an attempt to attain the holiness they needed to be able to have the living God sharing their space with them. So their belief was that the only way to acceptance was by following the law. You have to get it right. You have to tick the list. You have to aim for perfection. They were very used to situations where they fell short, where they missed what they were aiming at. This word that Jesus uses where he talks about sin literally means to miss the mark, to fall short. It's a word that's often used of when you shoot an arrow and it's so close, you just miss the mark. They were used to that. That was the reality of their living. The same word is used frequently in Greek literature at the time. And when it's used in Greek literature, it means the fatal flaw that a character has that usually further down the tail will lead to disaster. So the people of that time were all too aware of how often they fell short, how often they missed the mark. And the third thing that I want you to bear in mind as we're thinking about this story is, therefore, what had this guy's experience been? Who has suffered this physical illness? Because I said that I don't believe that Jesus thinks that sin is at the root of his illness, but everybody else would have. That was the, pervade, the, the, the wide view at the time, was that people who suffered chronic illness, chronic life-changing illness, did so as a result of condemnation for something they had done wrong. And we still do this now, if we're honest. We are so lucky in this modern world. Medicine has made so many steps forward. But when we reach the limits of our human understanding, so often what we do is we turn on the people who are suffering themselves. And I've sat in rooms with so many people who, like this man, are suffering terrible physical suffering, chronic pain, exhaustion, all kinds of difficulties. 
And yet what's happening is that the doctors are starting to say to them, well, maybe, maybe this is something about you. There are classic stories through medical history of diseases that we now understand the cause of, but that historically were thought to be the fault of the people who suffered. They were down to stress or they were down to lifestyle or personality factors and things like that. So what we have here is a man who has a physical illness, who has suffered dreadfully physically, but we also have someone who has carried an incredibly difficult emotional load, who is so aware of his fatal flaws, his weaknesses, who has probably racked his mind again and again and again and prayed to God that he can somehow change himself to be good enough that he can somehow be better, be a better person. Maybe he can do it and his life will change. Because this stuff takes its toll, doesn't it? Things people have said to him, the rejection he's had, experiences he's had in his life up to now. And Jesus looks down on this man and sees much more than just someone suffering with a physical illness. He sees an emotional pain there. He sees a limitation. He sees the hold that these things are having on the guy. So three things, therefore, that I want to think about that we can learn today about emotional health, about the challenges as we move now into this next season of working in this amazing field and supporting people that I think we can draw out of this passage And the first one is that emotional health clearly matters. We hear so much now in the press about parity of esteem of emotional and mental health. We've heard people talking about this, how important it is that we don't neglect emotional health, that we don't become focused on physical health and forget emotional health. We have some work to do, I think, to honestly get there to get the finance equal and to really be treating emotional and mental health as we are, some physical health stuff. But what we see here is that Jesus has it totally nailed because he looks at this guy with an obvious physical condition, but actually his, I would say his first focus is that he's thinking about what's going on at that deeper level. What else has this man experienced that when he looks at this guy instinctively straight away, he sees a man in pain But it's not the physical pain that draws his attention, first of all, because he sees an emotional pain that this man is carrying. It's powerful, I think, that the word, when he says, your sins are forgiven, that word means to to be set free. And, And it's a weird sort of verb where the subject is actually the thing you're talking about. So it means to let go, but it's like your your sins let you go. Your fatal flaws let you go. He's taking this guy and he's freeing him from the impact of his own awareness of his many shortcomings, of his fatal flaws, of the things that have haunted him for years, of all the things that he's come to believe about himself. Because there's more than just a physical problem here. To to Jesus in that moment, to physically heal that guy is not enough. It's not enough and we see that his focus is somewhere totally different. Because isn't it interesting, in the passage we see Jesus says to those around, he says, which is easier? To say to this guy, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And I think we make the same mistake that they would have done, that we sit there and think, which is easier? Blimey, physical healing? Pretty hard. Yeah, you're right, the physical thing's the hard thing, but I don't think that's what he's saying. This is God. 
Physical healing is easy. He has full authority over this guy's body. He says the word, that guy will get up and be healed. Emotional healing, that's harder, isn't it? Because God doesn't take that type of total authority over our mind. That's a shared space. He's not going to take your control away from you. So actually to somehow... To, to pull off that miracle of releasing someone from their own mind, freeing us from our own tendency to condemn ourselves in a way that Jesus and God would never condemn us, that's, that's much harder. So what Jesus does in this moment is he sees what this man needs to be freed from and he's saying, which, which is easier? Actually, this is the real challenge. And this is the challenge of our society, friends, today. How do we release people from the pressure that they put themselves under, from the challenges in their own mind? How do we respond to some of the things that our society is throwing at people that is making them feel so desperate, that is creating a space where so many people struggle to manage, struggle to release their full potential, where the weight of their own awareness of their own weaknesses is is holding them down so much. So many of the things that we talk about day in, day out are that type of emotional, mental health problem. They are created by the circumstances that people have grown up in, the challenges that life has thrown at them. So Jesus looks at this guy and he sees that emotional health really matters. The second thing that we know from what Jesus says is that actually wellness really matters. So Jesus sees this guy's emotional state, but he's not satisfied to leave him there. He's not focused just on the illness that someone has. His clear motivation, his clear vision for this man is one of health, is one of moving into a better space, is one of thriving and flourishing in a better way in a different way. Jesus' focus isn't just on accepting this man's illness, understanding it. These are all good things to do. But he clearly has a bigger vision here for what he wants to do for this man he sees in front of him. He wants to encourage him to move to wellness, to thriving, to a better space. He wants to take a man who life has taught that he is disabled and he wants to enable him. He wants to release him from some of that pressure. And it's interesting because as we start to talk so much more about mental health, it's brilliant to hear all these conversations, but the risk is that we become so focused on the illness that we forget to do that. We're so busy trying to build acceptance and get conversations started that what we do is we just talk an awful lot about illness and what it is to be ill. And we mustn't forget that our focus, particularly as God's people, is to help people move to a better space, a space where they can flourish and thrive and where the weight of their emotional ill health and their challenges is lifted from them. Spaces where they can function and do really well, where they can find happiness, joy, hope, all of these things that can feel so elusive in our society. So illness models of mental health have their place But we mustn't forget about wellness. We must always be talking about wellness. Even for people, some some mental health, we are talking about probably lifelong conditions for people. But we mustn't become bogged down in limitations for those people. We must think, how can we enable them? 
How can we create space where they can have a bigger impact, where they can reach their potential? Because what's really interesting here, if you know, is that this guy isn't healed from his emotional health. Jesus doesn't say you are healed from your sins. He says you're freed, you're let go. They don't need to limit you anymore. And you know, friends, we, we are not perfect people. If anybody in this room feels that they are a perfect person, please come and chat to me afterwards because I would love to know how you do that. None of us are perfect people. We are all in this room people who carry our own imperfections, our own limitations. We are all very aware of our own fatal flaws. Many of us struggle or have struggled at some point with emotional and mental health. This isn't a model where some people have illness and the rest of us are all in this nice well box over here. We all have emotional and mental health. We all go up and down the line depending what life throws at us. And we all have our Achilles heel. We all have the stuff that might cause us to struggle. The things that we find hard, that maybe you don't find hard, but I do. We all have the things from our past that have had an impact on the person that we are today. We all have that challenge. The focus, though, is on wellness and freeing us from a place where we're weighed down by the limitations of those things. Jesus wants everyone to know in this passage that he has the power to do that. Not necessarily to free us and heal us from everything, but there, there is life in the midst of that. And we mustn't present a model to people that says, what you need to do is get well and then you can be used. Because none of us are in that space. It doesn't even exist. What we need to create is a space where we are freed from the limitations, from the challenges of our minds, from the things that we struggle with, from the things that we find difficult. And we need to deal with some of the underlying problems that create so much illness in our society. And the risk is that if we only have an illness model of mental and emotional health, that we miss the mark on that stuff. So I listened to, was listening to Radio 4 the other day and they were talking about the challenges of loneliness, which, as I've already said, is a huge issue for our culture now. But what they were talking about was the condition of loneliness. And I, and I sat up in bed and thought, condition? When did being lonely become a condition? What, are we going to find a drug for that now? Here you are, Mr. Mr. Smith, you're lonely. Here's a, here's a pill, take it twice a day. That'll sort that out. We cannot start to call these things conditions when what they are is challenges to our culture, challenges to the way we do life together, challenges to the way we love and support each other, challenges to the way we do friendship and family and some of these big things. We have to look at the underlying issues that are triggering illness so that we can free people and help them not to be held down by so much by the impact of those things. Anxiety as well is another area where this is the thing. People talk about anxiety as a condition, and it can be a, a mental health illness. For some people, a lifelong struggle. But anxiety at the root is not an illness. It's an essential human emotion. I cannot eradicate anxiety from your life. And you wouldn't want me to, believe me. I have a six-year-old boy. He needs a little more anxiety in his life. When he was three, his favorite game in the whole world was to put a bin over his head and run around until he hit something. Anxiety has a purpose. It warns us of the potential for problems. It warns us that risks may lie ahead. We cannot 
get to a place where our only model of dealing with things like anxiety is to call it an illness. Because then what we create is a generation of young people who think that they cannot do things because they have these problems. So if you talk to my daughter's friends who are struggling with mental health, what you hear again and again is, well, I can't do that. I can't do that because I struggle with anxiety. I can't do that because I self-harm. I can't do that because I have experiences of depression. Friends, we have to be honest here and say so many of us have those problems, those challenges, those difficulties, but we have to find a space where we can free and enable people because every one of those people is amazing. I cannot tell you how awesome my daughter's friends are, and it breaks my heart that they look at their life and think, well, because I'm having this struggle, I'm not going to be able to do stuff. So let's stop talking about illness. Let's start talking about wellness. Let's start equipping our young people and our adults and talking in leadership circles and all these different spaces, not just about illness to raise awareness, but let's start talking about how do you stay well? How do you deal with the challenges of 21st century life? What do you do when you move to London and you don't know a soul and you're struggling with loneliness? What do you do? What do you do when you're elderly and suddenly you don't know anyone because your normal friendship groups have changed? What do you do when you become physically unwell and you can't get out of the house and actually you're all too aware that you're starting to struggle emotionally? What do you do when the strains and pressures of your high-paced city job suddenly, out of the blue, leave you having panic attacks and you never thought you'd be someone who'd suffer with that? Is our only model that says, yeah, you need to quit that? Is that our only model that says you can't do things because you've experienced this? No, we must talk about these things, equip people to manage them well and release wellness instead of becoming bogged down on talking about illness. And we must do that for our young people. You'll have heard this week um, interviews with Ruth Davidson um, talking about her own experience of depression and the struggle she's had. And so many people then saying, well, that's why she's not pursued greater things in her political career, you know, because she struggles with depression. And and, And she said in one of the things, she said, if our only response to mental health is to see it as a dead end, as a stop, then maybe we need to keep talking. So I say to you today, maybe we need to keep talking. And maybe we need to watch what we're talking about so that what we're doing is releasing people and equipping them instead of limiting them. Because the third thing that we see in this story about what matters to Jesus when he sees this human being in front of him is that clearly it's about freedom, not about limitation. It's about flourishing and health, life to the full. It's about releasing this guy from something. Have you ever thought about this story about what Jesus does in the final moments? It's a bit weird. Imagine, I know I'm saying imagine yourself as Jesus, which is very risky to say in a sermon, but imagine yourself in that position. You're with this guy who's been paralyzed for years, decades maybe, and, and he's come to you for healing. And actually, it is very interesting. Jesus never actually directly like prays for healing. It just sort of happens. But um, he's there and you say, what, is, what would you do? You'd, you'd give him a lift up, wouldn't you? You'd reach out a hand. Here you are. Let me help you up. Give it a go. See how you're doing. Can you stand? How's it doing? How's your pain on a level of one to ten? Those are the sorts of things we all do, isn't it? Yeah. 
But Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't do that. What he's, and, and again, bear in mind, he hasn't actually directly talked about physical healing. He's had a talk about why he hasn't talked about it, but he hasn't actually said, you are healed. He just looks down at the guy and says, right, get up. And actually, maybe the most amazing miracle in this whole story is what happens then, that this man who has been held down for years, for decades by physical illness, who knows that he cannot walk, but also is carrying this emotional weight and challenge of everything that he's been through, this man doesn't even hesitate. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't need any encouragement. He just gets up. And I love the word that Mark uses when it says that he walks. It isn't like, um, because we think of this story and we think of a walk a bit like you do in a shoe shop, you know, just to try it out. Give it a go. Can you walk? How's it going? Give it a try, you know. Shake the hip a bit. Maybe try the old jump. See how it's all working. No, the word that Mark uses literally has this sense. it's, It's walking with purpose. It's like, walk away. It's like, go, live your life, get up and just go. He's not saying, get up, do a quick circuit of the room and then come back and tell everyone what God's done for your life. He's like, no, go, live your life, you're free. So notice this guy, he remains in that space, an imperfect, flawed human being. Jesus hasn't created a super person here, but what he has done is freed him from the impact of the awareness of his flaws, from the difficulties that he struggles with. So many of us here today will be carrying our own mental health struggles. So many of us will have been limited in what we can do. So many of us will be so aware of things we wish we could do better. Relationships, jobs, the way that we parent our kids, the friendships that we have. Life throws things at us and it it changes us. And for some of us, that has been a massive It's been a massive challenge. But in the midst of that, Jesus offers us something amazing, something miraculous, and that is freedom, hope, joy. All the things that people are desperately looking for in this world and don't know where to find. And we as the church have always been called to to offer people something else, another way, something better, to call people into light from darkness to offer hope in a place of despair, to see things differently. If I now talk about mental health, we fail to do that. I suggest to you that we are missing the mark. And we need to question what we're doing, what we're talking about and how we're talking. It's why talking as leaders is so important. In this next season in the church looking at mental health, we will set the tone, not just for ourselves, but as an alternative voice against all the other voices in society that can offer something more. And it's so important, therefore, that we do that well that we don't portray a model that says, actually, what you do is you get brilliant like us, and then you lead once you're perfect, you know, perfect superhuman people. No, not a single person you will see today on this stage is superhuman or perfect in any way. Many of the people you will hear today will talk powerfully and bravely and vulnerably about their own battles, about the challenges they have had with mental health, about the things that they've learned from a God who frees them in the midst of difficulty. 
about that weird parallel that you can still be in intense difficulty, but also be freer than you've ever been. We need to talk about that stuff in the society that we find ourselves. We need to move people towards life, real life, life to the full. So as we ponder this story that Jesus tells, as we sit at the beginning of what's going to be an amazing day thinking about emotional mental health, let's bear that in mind. Let's not miss the mark ourselves. Let's think about what do we need to do. Let's remember the God who looks at the people that he created and loves so much and wants them to be free. Looks at those people and wants everyone to know that he has the power to release us from our imperfections, from our flaws, from the things that we struggle with, that he wants us to thrive and flourish. The God who turns our superhuman strength model of life in a culture that is so much about illness and strength and perfection and triathlons and proving that I have what you don't have. Jesus turns all that on its head and says, no, it's actually through weakness that I'm at my strongest. It is an amazing thing that you have weakness. We should rejoice in that weakness because in that imperfection, somewhere in the weirdness of that, we carry something amazing and there's a strength in that that is incredible. So you are not superhuman, but you do carry something supernatural within you. Let's remember this stuff. Friends, let's remember that happiness isn't all about perfection. As we support people, what we're not trying to do is help them to become perfect people so that they can shake off their difficulties. Let's talk about happiness and the things that really matter and recognize the things that leave people feeling limited and trapped. And let's look to the light for them. Let's look at life to the full and what that means in our 21st century for so many people who are struggling. I'm just going to pray. Father God, we thank you so much for these truths. Lord God, we praise you for the amazingness that you look at us and you know us fully. You know every thought that we have. That right now in this room, you know the secret things. You know the things that we have never told another living soul. You know the struggles and the challenges, the secret fears, the less secret fears. You know the battles that we fight. You know how hard it's been for some people even just to walk through the door this morning. You know what's behind the cheery smile they give when they say hello to people who ask how they are. And yet there is no condemnation in this space. We are known and loved by our Father, and in that space we find acceptance, freedom, possibility, thriving. Lord God, inspire us today for how we take that message out to the people we support. But Father, I also pray that today for some people here who need to hear from you for themselves, that you would start that work of releasing people who maybe have felt weighed down by their own imperfections, by their own fatal flaws. Just pray that in this space today, you speak freedom and bring change and bring life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Kate. Wow. You said you had a challenging message. I didn't know it was going to be that challenging.